An investor's investor. Weird. Always thinking. Smart. Thoughtful. Unconventional. Hi, I'm John Lukumnik. Welcome to Outside In, the interdisciplinary podcast for financial professionals and anyone else who values different thinking. What does that mean? Well, we interview fascinating people, from Shakespeare scholars to financial data scientists, to see what the financial community can learn from non-traditional sources and from traditional sources thinking in non-traditional ways. We're breaking down the silos which too often surround the financial community. Come, listen to the sounds of those walls collapsing. Today on Outside In, our guest is Stan Bergman, the CEO of Henry Schein, the world's largest provider of healthcare products, services, and technology to office-based doctors and dentists. It sometimes flies under the radar. It shouldn't. Stan Bergman took over as CEO of a family-run dental distribution company with revenues of $225 million in 1989, roughly a third of a century ago. Today, with both revenues and a market cap of more than $10 billion, Henry Schein is a member of the S&P 500. Perhaps more importantly, it is regarded as an exemplar of a company with a purpose. Ethisphere has ranked it as one of the world's most ethical companies six times. It's been one of Fortune Magazine's world's most admired companies for 20 consecutive years. Stan himself has been awarded both CR Magazine's Corporate Responsibility Lifetime Achievement Award and CEO Magazine's CEO of the Year Honor. And that's not to mention the five honorary doctorates and one honorary fellowship from six universities on three continents that he's received. So welcome, Stan. Thank you, John. It's really good to be here. You, I admire your work and let's go. So we have found that interesting people often have had interesting lives and you certainly grew up in both interesting times and an interesting place. You grew up in a multiracial neighborhood in apartheid era, South Africa in the 1960s, which was a time of generational awakening around the world. So how did all that affect you to become the person you are both professionally and personally? What's your origin story? John, my family history is a history of travel from Europe to Africa, to North America. In February of 1936, my parents fled Nazi Germany for South Africa while building their new life in South Africa, raising a family, my brother and I, they once again witnessed the emergence of evil in the form of uh, the apartheid regime. Knowing that we did, did not want to raise our family in such an environment, my wife, Mary and I immigrated to this great nation, the United States in May of 1976, became U.S. citizens a decade later. And it's here that our sons were born, married, and our grandchildren were born and are currently being raised here too and expect to be raised here. So as you referenced, you and your wife, Dr. Marion Bergman, made the decision to emigrate from South Africa to the United States. And you gave the reason and, and given the family history of fleeing Nazi Germany, and recognizing similar circumstances, one understands that. 
But in some ways that intellectualizes the emotional challenges of picking up and leaving your homeland. Can you remember some of the emotions and thoughts and how you made that decision? And I say that because in business, we often have to make decisions, but they're intellectual. There may be emotions involved. And as you say, you try and help people, but that is a really hard decision for someone to make dealing with what's the opportunity in the future. What's the situation now? What am I tied to? What's my inertia? What's my emotions? What were you and your wife thinking at that time? Yeah, it's a very good question. Actually, no one has asked me that question in the precise way you have, John, and gets me thinking. So bottom line is, emotionally, we knew, Mary and I, that we could not live in the society, the apartheid society any longer. We disliked the society, everything about it, and our inability to have friends with different backgrounds was just too much. So emotionally, we said we have to leave. Intellectually, we said to ourselves, but if we flee or we leave, we are leaving behind a problem and we should deal with it. And many people stayed behind under this regime or fought the regime. Marion and myself said to each other, well, there's a place called the United States of America. And we want to leave South Africa for the positive purpose of going to live in the United States. That was the intellectual part. But we struggled intellectually about not staying. Ultimately, we made that decision. And if you look at some of the philanthropic work we're involved with, we feel in some small way, we are repaying the emotional and the intellectual aligning and coming together. But it was a very difficult decision. I suspect that if we'd stayed, we probably would have gotten involved in political matters. And I'm not sure where that would have ended. So with that unique perspective, having grown up in South Africa and, and we'll talk about the restaurant in a minute, but you've reached the pinnacle of business in the United States. You're the perfect person to ask a somewhat uncomfortable question. The level of polarization in the United States is high. Not, I am not comparing it by any stretch of the imagination to institutionalized racism in South Africa or the Holocaust in Nazi Germany, but tribalism and identity politics have replaced the ideals of democracy for many people in terms of what defines America. The New York Times recently went so far as to write about the emerging phenomenon of blue and red businesses with CEOs being forced to choose sides. And I do speak with institutional investors around the world and I increasingly hear concerns from them about the fragmenting of the American experiment as a market risk, not to mention a potential social catastrophe. How do you think about this situation and what, if anything, could business and investors do to bring about more unity and social cohesion? Well, it's another good question. I believe that business has to not play a role in any part of the equation, left or right. We have to be bipartisan. Having said that, there are certain things that business people need to get involved with. The first is driving civility. It is really important that we treat each other with huge respect, as has been the tradition in the United States for centuries. I will say there have been times when that's not the case. But I think business people have a responsibility to ensure that civility is a key part of the society, and we have to talk out about that. I also think business people have to talk out about issues such as racial injustice. I happen to also think that business people have a responsibility to talk out about ensuring that everyone has the right to health care. But there are things that business people should not get involved with, whether we should raise more taxes, 
or less taxes. I believe that's something the ballot box should decide, whether we should have bigger armies or smaller armies. The big issue is civility, the notion that everyone is entitled to respect. Racism cannot exist. And in my, just because of the kinds of comp kind of company we are, we know that preventative care and wellness is important. And therefore, every single individual has a right to healthcare. So those are the kinds of things that I think business should be involved with. But a lot of the other things that I believe determine whether you're from the right or to the left are things that are best left to the ballot box. Let's talk about that business for a second. Let's talk about Henry Schein. Now you trained as an accountant and you were working at Henry Schein, which was run at the time by Jay Schein, a member of the founding family. And you became CEO suddenly during a crisis. Would you take us back through that time and what you were thinking? And now with the benefit of decades of hindsight, how accurate were your expectations at the time? Interesting question. I'm an accountant by background. I became a CPA, a South African charter accountant, became a CPA when I came to the U.S. Worked for uh, BDO, the accounting firm, and moved on to the consulting side. And Shine was a client. We were charged the responsibility of installing the first computer in Emshine in 1978 and 79. I went in as typically um, consultants do with phase three or four to Jay Shine, who was the chairman at the time. And I said, and Jay said, no, 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 no more consulting engagements. You come join the company as the first CFO. So after some discussion, I said, sure, I'd be happy to do that. I did say to him, I didn't think I was a great accountant and I need a good accountant to bring with me. And that's Jim Brzezlowski, who's the vice chairman of Henry Schein. We've been partners for 46 years since I arrived in this country, Jimmy and I. And we joined, we put the computer in and Schein became very important in two particular areas. One in, in advancing generic drugs, great story for another time. And the other was the dealing with infection control in the early to mid eighties when the AIDS pandemic or epidemic advanced, the business was doing well. Then in, uh, the spring of 1988, Jay Shine came back from a ski trip, was diagnosed with cancer, terminal cancer and passed away in November. Together with a colleague on the pharmaceutical side, we were presented with this opportunity or this challenge actually to deal with the big issues of the day in the businesses. Shortly before Jay died, we made a commitment to him that we would continue the businesses. The pharmaceuticals business spun off into its own company went public and followed that route. And we, on the distribution side, continued by taking the company public, beginning a global rollout of the business and entering to areas such as not only consumable dental products, but medical products and equipment and software. And we developed a strategic plan to diversify the company into what became a global healthcare products and services provider based on the fundamental values that Jay Shine and his family had developed, which is, and we'll talk about that in a minute, which is the foundation of the Henry Shine success story. And the rest is history. So you mentioned the global rollout diversification. One way that you've done that is through a series of serial acquisitions. And as I'm sure the academic literature says that most merger and acquisitions are net destroyers of value, though there are exceptions and shine seems to be the exception that pools the rule. In fact, CEO magazine once filed an entire article. Henry Schein's CEO shows biz leaders how to ace acquisitions, end quote. So what's the secret? Why has Shine been so successful 
at acquiring companies and integrating them when others fail? Look, we sell products that others sell. The very few products, John, that others don't sell that we sell. We sell every, practically every dental or medical product a practitioner may need. You can buy it from multiple sources. We are the leader in that field to the office-based dentist and practitioner medical. We have software. You can buy software from multiple sources. You can buy specialty products from multiple sources. There's nothing you can't buy elsewhere that you could buy from Venushandra. Why are we the biggest? And it goes to the simple philosophy of people. It's really people that make a business. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. By the way, we have no very few patents. Maybe a few of our businesses have patents. And our people can go work elsewhere. We have some non-competes, but very few. So why do people stay? It's because of the values. The values that every single Team Shine member is important as the next. We value what's called entrepreneurship, which is entrepreneurship in a large business. We value treating people with the utmost respect. Uh, it doesn't matter your background. We have many... Senior officers, Shine, that don't have degrees, university degrees, but they are very good people and they know how to motivate the team. So that philosophy is in our DNA and we grow internally, balance of internal growth and acquisition growth. Why are the acquisitions per se successful? Because we do due diligence, not only on the regulatory stuff, on the financial stuff, but spend much more time on the people stuff. And if it's a great business where we think the management is not going to come along on an acquisition program, and we can't figure a way to advance that merger in a way where the current team in place in that business and our team are not on the same page, it doesn't work. So we spent a lot of time in the people due diligence side, and many of our acquisitions are actually joint ventures, where the party that we buy from, we invest in, perhaps keeps 20 or 30 or 40% of the business. And the, the only deal we have with those partners is when you're ready to retire, and everybody should have that ability, please make sure you have a successor so that the engine can continue to run. So it's really all about people, and that's where we spend our time, whether it's on growing internally or on an acquisition. So some time ago, you wrote some intriguing comments about the difference between intelligence and wisdom. You said, and I quote, we live in a world of increasing division because we've put too much faith in intelligence, which can be artificial instead of wisdom, which never is. We must acknowledge an underlying truth that is critical to a healthy society, that our great decisions must be made with the combined wisdom of all of us, not the presumed intelligence of a few of us. The beauty of wisdom is that it is available to all. Wisdom doesn't care what school you attended, and it doesn't care about race, creed, or color. Wisdom is real and authentic, which is why no one ever speaks of artificial wisdom, end quote. Can you expand on that a bit, both in terms of how that philosophy affects your life and, as you started, how it impacts how you run Henry Shine? Yes, John, actually goes back to my parents' store in Port Elizabeth, South End, South Africa. And in essence, there's a difference between IQ and EQ. I believe for people to be successful in any walk of life, whether it's a business leader, somebody that's maybe a president of a university, somebody that's involved on the regulatory side, investor relations or governance. In order to succeed, you have to be authentic and you have to care about people. Some couldn't have to say, I care about people not being authentic. And if you're authentic and you don't try to advance the cause you're involved with in an appropriate way, that also doesn't work. So 
the key here is to be moderately successful. I think in any walk, you need to be moderately intelligent in any walk of life. But what's more important is that you authentically care about others and you have very good values. At Henry Schein, our culture has to adapt. It's a funny story. When my colleague Jimmy and I joined the company, we put in the first fax machine. The culture in 1980, when we joined, has to be very different. The culture now with artificial intelligence and quantum computers. Having said that, the values have to remain constant. So if one believes in good values, if one has a wisdom to care about others and concerns about others, whether it's the team, customers, society in general, the investors, that kind of works. But if all we have are brilliant strategic plans, they will never materialize. So I've always said that you can have a brilliant strategic plan but if you don't get the right people with the right values, that plan will be next executed. You can have a disastrous strategic plan with the right people and you'll fix it. And we're very much an entrepreneurial culture in Shine. It's entrepreneurial. You just put the right people in the right seat and let them go. And you know what? It works, provided the values of it. Some more general questions. What's exciting you right now? What are you passionate about at the moment? Well, aside from my grandchildren, put that aside, from a business point of view, I would say the opportunities in healthcare are huge. First of all, other than food and housing, maybe everyone needs healthcare. The second is the technological improvements or technology available in healthcare just skyrocketed as a result of COVID. What maybe took five, 10 years to develop is being brought to market in six months. So what excites me is that I think we are going to finally move from a healthcare system of sickness, where we take care of people that are sick, to an environment where we're gonna take care of people to prevent them from getting sick. And the whole prevention and wellness is a huge opportunity. And that's the sweet spot of Edmund Shine. How do we prevent people from getting sick? And there's so much opportunity in that area, in oral care, in the upper space practitioner environment, in the ambulatory surgical center and in home care. All of those are great. So that's what excites me. What music do you listen to? Well, I've always listened to classical music. And when I met Shine family uh, 30 plus year ago, years ago, they introduced me to opera. So now, uh, of course, I love classical music, but I really love the opera. Are you reading a book right now? I read several at a time. I like history. The one book I would suggest that any business leader read, it's called Mandela's Way. It's not about the history of the struggle in South Africa. It's not about President Mandela's personal history, but it's his wisdom. And pick the area you're interested in. If it right, relates to leadership, something in that book that will make a difference in your life. If you could be on vacation right now, where would you be? I would be on the ski slopes with my grandchildren. Last question. If you were granted magical powers and you could whisper in the ear of every human being in the world, what's the one fact or belief you would whisper to them? It, at this very moment is get a vaccine. And more generally? And if you'd ask me that question a year and a half ago, I'd say we're a mess. <laughs> but in general, I would say is if we don't respect the environment, if we don't respect each other with all the nu nuclear armaments we have today and a failing environment, 
We're not going to be there for the next, the next generation will not be there to tell the story. Okay. Let's leave it there. Our very special guest on Outside In has been Stan Bergman, CEO of Henry Schein. I think you can probably now see why Stan is riding high going into his 33rd year, a third of the century as CEO of Henry Schein. Stan, thank you so much. Thank you, John. Thanks for listening. Outside In is hosted by John Lukumnik and produced by Elizabeth Thompson for Spark Network. You can find our show on Apple Podcasts, where we'd love it if you leave us a review, as well as on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon, and wherever else you get your favorite shows. To get more information about our show and to stay in the know about future episodes, sign up for our newsletter on sparknetwork.com.